Please turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Today we are finishing the lessons that were prepared by our Connection Branch leaders. And then next Sunday we will uh, be starting our series on the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be like Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, we are starting the book of Acts. It's a, a wonderful book. I was telling the Connection Branch leaders, by the time we are done with the book of Acts, everyone will be speaking in tongues. <laughs> or should I say other languages? In Luke chapter 18, again, we are confronted with a Pharisee. I think in one of the lessons, we also talked about a Pharisee. Pharisees were complaining about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. That was in Matthew, I think, chapter 21. Here we have a prayer or prayers. But it's interesting how Jesus starts this text. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. I'm reading from Luke 18. Our text is verse 9 to 14. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, and looked down upon everyone else. Those are the people that Jesus is addressing, that he is speaking to. People that looked at themselves and saw their own perfor religious performances, graded themselves, and then used those standards that they had to look down upon themselves, upon others, others who don't believe like them, others who don't see things the way they do. I think Jesus is addressing Christians here. This is one parable that uh, is so familiar that we are tempted to read it without thinking about ourselves. It's easier to read it and think about another person. But it's here for us. To those who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. This parable is for us. And Jesus he tells a parable 
He says, two men went up to the temple. They might as well be women. They both went to the same temple. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. We all know that Pharisees were known for their devotion to the law. They are righteous people as far as they are concerned. They were educated and were held in high esteem in the society. Tax collectors, on the other hand, were the scum of the Jewish society. They were sellouts. They were despised and hated because they worked for the Roman government. So you have two people here. One is can pass for a deacon or even an elder of the church. The other one fails, falls short. One is respected, the other one is looked down upon by everyone else. But both of them realize that they have need for God. And therefore they go to the temple to pray. Something in them tells them that they need God. And they go to pray. I won't spend much time talking about prayer, but prayer is essential in our spiritual life. It's important that we pray. My mother, one thing I learned from her, even though she's not a theologian, she's not educated, but she is a very prayerful woman. I like it when she prays. The only part that I don't like when she prays is when we are about to eat. Because <laughs> to her, any prayer time is a prayer time. And when we are about to eat, my thinking is we just need to thank God for the food and start eating. My mother will pray for all of us and then pray for her grandchildren before we start eating. That's the only part that uh, does not inspire me. <laughs> and so they go to pray. The Pharisee, we are told, he stands he stands up, he stands himself, and he prays. And this is what he says. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Not, not so bad. I mean, it's okay to thank God for who you are. It's okay to thank God that he has spared you from becoming like uh, other people. It's okay to thank God that you didn't have to go through life the way other people did. 
This, you should know, is a typical Jewish prayer. Thank you that I'm not like other people. And he names them robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And then he says, or even like this tax collector, I think. That is where the twist in his prayer is. That tells us when he is praying, even though he approaches God as if he is grateful, he is not really grateful to God. He is not giving God the credit for who he is. He is crediting himself. He is the person Jesus is addressing here. A person who is confident of his righteousness and looks down on everyone else. And then he names his accomplishments. He says, I fast twice a week. By the way, fasting is a spiritual discipline. And uh, when I came to U.S. and realized that people eat a lot here, one of the questions that I was asking myself was, do they fast? I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. That's a good thing. This is a good Christian here. The problem is, he is not crediting God for what he has been able to accomplish. It is a prayer that does not seek God. It is a prayer that promotes self. And by the way, we may not pray like this, but at times we think like this. God, I thank you that I am not like that woman who couldn't stay in her marriage. I thank you that I'm not like that father who cannot take care of his children. I thank you that I'm not like that lady who, can, who does not dress decently. I thank you like my, because my children are not like these children who are running everywhere. I thank you, Lord, that I 
I come to church on time. These are some of the things that we think when you are driving and you see a homeless person, what goes through your mind. If you are self-righteous, one of the things that might go through your mind will be, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man who has wasted his life with drugs and alcohol. The fact that he compares himself to the tax collector shows that even though he is confident of his, of his own righteousness, he realizes that he is insecure. He is insecure in his own righteousness because it is a false sense of righteousness. And for him to feel good about himself, he has to compare himself with someone else. These are those Christians who are quick to expose the weaknesses of other Christians so that they can feel good about themselves. It's a prayer that begins in the spirit but ends in the flesh. Have you ever been tempted to think that you are the best God has? <laughs> God, you are so lucky to have me. I'm the best you can get. It's like he's presenting his resume to God. Have you been tempted to think that if every Christian was like you, the world would be so good? Or to think that you don't need God, really? The tension in this text, and we will look at the tax collector, the tension in this text is what Jesus says in verse 14. You should know that to the Jewish society, this prayer is a common prayer. The Jews that were listening to Jesus, had no, they, they had no problem with this kind of prayer. But in verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, referring to the tax collector. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is where the tension is, because... The Pharisee, everyone expects the Pharisee to be the person who is justified before God because of all the accomplishments that he's made. And yet Jesus says, no. It's not, what about, it's not about what you can do. 
Even Ross agrees with me. It's about what I can do. The Pharisee is not justified. He's not justified because his false sense of security brings discomfort to God's heart. Jesus says he was not justified because his false sense of security does not glorify God. His security is in what he has accomplished rather than what God has accomplished through him. His prayer turns the grace of God into a personal accomplishment. He's not justified because his false sense of security brings discomfort to God's heart. It does not glorify God. He's not justified because his prayer turns God's grace into a personal accomplishment. You will see this with Christians almost everywhere where we claim to come to Christ by grace and then everything else is about us. We start with the spirit and then we continue with the flesh. We claim that God is sovereign. Yes, he's sovereign. He's the one who saves and we can build our houses there. But once we come to Christ, that sovereignty doesn't matter anymore. In the way we see ourselves and the way we treat others. We turn the grace of God into a personal accomplishment. It becomes me. All the humility that brought us to the cross is gone. A Christian today is likely to wear a shirt that says, Jesus is my savior. But the same person will not witness. We think by wearing a shirt that says, Jesus is my savior, I have done my part. The same person will not share the gospel with another person. The Pharisee, despite all the good things, and we encourage people to be faithful in doing good things, not because those good things brings you closer to God, but because you are closer to God. We encourage people to give faithfully, to witness faithfully, to love others faithfully, not because doing that will save you, but because you are saved. 
When you see an apple tree producing apples, you should know that that apple tree is not an apple tree because it is producing apples. It is producing apples because it is an apple tree. It will not produce anything else. The good works that we do, we do them because something good has happened to us. Because Christ has justified us. We don't do them because there is something that we want Jesus to do for us. The good works that we do are the fruit of the salvation that we have received. They are not the root of the salvation that we need. That means if Jesus is not your savior, it doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how kind, how loving, how generous you are. But if he is your savior, then you need to be generous. We need to be loving. We need to be kind. We need to be good people because we have a good God. And we cannot use the standard that God has given us as his children on other people who are yet to believe in him. The tax collector, Jesus says, is justified. He's justified. Let's look at the tax collector's prayer. This other person prays, thanking God for what he is able to do. The tax collector stands at a distance. That tells us that the Pharisee was closer to the Holy of Holies than the tax collector. The tax collector was far away. He would not even look up to heaven. He is ashamed of himself. He is guilty. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. His prayer is a sinner's prayer. People say, oh, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Here is one of them. Here is someone who knows that he is a sinner and he is turning to God for help. And he doesn't have a lot to say because he realizes I just need mercy here. Maybe he's a good person too. Maybe he helps some of his friends. 
You know, even a bad person is nice sometimes. When I was young, I remember there was a, a bank robber who was our neighbor. And one day, he bought a soda for me. And then he gave me what was his equivalent to $5. And I was a very, I, I think I was three or four years old. He bought a soda and he gave me $5. And he's a bank robber. Even bad people can be nice. But he doesn't try to bring his niceness before God. He knows himself, and this tax collector has an understanding of God that the Pharisee does not have. He seems to understand that God is holy, something that the Pharisee doesn't seem to even recognize. Have mercy on me. This is a sinner's prayer. And there are several sinners' prayer in the Bible. Another one that we see is with the thief on the cross who turns to Christ and prays to Christ to remember him. I think the problem is when we make the sinners' prayer uh, a certain formula that you have to pray this way. But if I'm talking about the sinner's prayer, I will tell you this is a sinner's prayer. He confesses his sinfulness and he submits to God's merciful heart. He's justified because his prayer is a prayer of repentance. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Both men come before God. They approach God. They speak to God. One focuses on God's mercy and his own sinfulness. The other one focuses on his righteousness. Have mercy on me is the opening line of Psalm chapter 51. Let's look at Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, when David was confronted by Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba, He prayed this prayer to God. David here is not praying to be saved, but he is praying for God's mercy upon him because he knows that he deserved to die because of his sin. And of course, the wages of sin is death. And we deserve to die because of our sins. We deserve to go to hell. 
But David here, as a believer, because this is to the believers, and I think Jesus is addressing religious people, his prayer here also realizes, recognizes, and appreciates the need for God's mercy. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. He recognizes his sinful nature. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. This is what sin does to a Christian. You cannot remain in sin and continue to enjoy the joy that comes from the Lord. And David realizes that. Let me hear joy and gladness. He misses it. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Says that because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had not come to indwell believers. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Sin will always take away our joy. Always. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And this is what is happening to the tax collector. He comes before the Lord with a broken heart. He comes before the Lord with a contrite heart. And Jesus says, he goes home justified. 
because a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. I don't know if you have found yourself in a situation where you wanted to pray, but you also know that you have grieved God's heart. And you want to pray, you want to express your feeling to God, you want to tell him everything, you know that he knows, and, and, and you try, you mention everything that you can before God, but it still weighs heavy on you. And you, you sit there, or you lie there, or you stand there, or you kneel down and you just tell God to have mercy on me. You know, it's like when my son Wilji comes to me, he's done something wrong. He knows that he's done something wrong. I know that he's done something wrong. And he comes to me and he tries to defend himself. He, he gives all the excuses and I'm listening. And we come back to the same thing and then he says, I'm sorry. Because in the end, what matters is how God thinks about us. In the end, what matters is how God responds to us. In the end, we have to realize that God is holy and that we are not holy. In the end, we have to realize that the only way we can be justified is by trusting God and what Christ has done, that it has nothing to do with what we can do. It has everything to do with his mercy and his grace. And maybe some of us need to turn to God today and just tell him, have mercy on me. We may have a lot of excuses. But in reality, we just need God's mercy. The tax collector is accepted and the Pharisee is rejected. The message I have to you is simple. God is more accepting than we think. He is more accepting than we think. And if that's true, then it should affect how we see others. That when I look at someone who seems unfaithful, whose life is twisted, 
Instead of me looking at them and then looking my, at, at myself and being proud about what I am able to do and she or he is not able to do, I should have mercy on them. Yes, I can thank God for protecting me from falling into the same pit, but I should also trust the same God to bring them up. If I have truly experienced God's mercy, it should be my desire to see another person experience the same mercy. And sometimes God may want to use me. Do you think the Pharisee is looking at the tax collector and is saying, God, I'm ready to be used to bring him closer to you? This kind of attitude does not bring people close to God. It pushes people away. God have mercy on us. Because God is more accepting than we think. Just ask yourself, who are the people that you look down upon? Baptists will look down on Presbyterians. Presbyterians will look down on Methodists. And the list goes on. Instead of finding our security in Christ, we have found it on something else. A false sense of security. Who are the people that you look down upon? Because we do look down upon people. If you've been married for a long time, the temptation will be to look down upon people that have been divorced. Who are the people that you look down upon? And how does that express your attitude towards God? Because it comes down to how we see God in our lives. And God is more accepting than we think. This is the grace of God. This is the gospel. This is the hope that we have. If you came to Southside Bible Fellowship and you felt like people are looking down upon you, forgive us. We are still growing. But if you have a struggle with accepting people the way they are, make it your prayer today 
ask God to have mercy on you. Because the same God accepted you. And I can tell you today, you are not the best. And the only reason you look like you are the best is because of what he has done in your life. Father, I thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy upon us. You don't give us what we deserve. But how I pray that that mercy that we have experienced may overflow to others. How I pray that we may be children of light. That Lord, when people see us, when they hear from us, they may see you and hear from you. For each one of us, Lord, I pray that in our own areas of self-righteousness, you may have mercy on us. In Jesus' name.